you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. I wanted to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. And uh, we've been walking through the prayer that Paul's been praying for those in Ephesus. And by extension, he's been praying for you. Uh, obviously in the sense that, that we're all believers. And uh, his heart for the believers uh, begins in verse 15 of chapter 1. And what I'd like to do just for the sake of context is uh, read verse 15 down through verse 19. <clears throat> so this is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore I also, after hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Uh, It's an incredible prayer and that we've been walking through over the last several sessions. And just uh, for a quick review, uh, Paul mentions in verse 15 and 16, uh, that he has heard something, and it's the fact that he has heard that here's this group of believers, uh, likely in Ephesus, and, and here they are living. They're not just living by faith, but their faith is really coming into action and is producing itself in love toward all the believers. And he says, because of this, because I've heard of your overwhelming faith, and again, faith is not just a mental belief system, but uh, faith, at least in this context, is, is very active. It's, a, it's an action. And he says, hey, because I've heard of your faith and your love toward all the saints, I just cannot stop giving thanks for you. Now, as he comes into verse 17 of chapter 1, uh, he actually gets into the very heart of the prayer itself, and he prays that God would give his audience or his listeners the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, which is just a great phrase. Again, uh, revelation has this idea it's a pulling back of a curtain. Uh, Wisdom here is either the perspective or the mind of God, or another way to understand it is the deep things of God. And again, I keep saying this, but I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I desperately need an unveiling, a pulling back of the curtain of the deep things of God in my life, that I need his perspective for my day and age. I, I need his mindset for my circumstance and my situation. And Paul says, hey, he is, he, his desire is that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And again, the word knowledge there isn't just uh, informational. The idea of knowledge here is it's uh, relational, it's experience, it's intimacy kind of an idea. So Paul's prayer then is that, that God would literally pull back the curtains, that he would unveil the deep things of himself in your life, that he would give you his perspective so that it would press you into this phenomenal reality of knowing him in intimacy and relationship. It's just phenomenal. I just love that idea. Uh, he continues in verse 18, <clears throat> which we've looked at uh, recently. And Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know three key things. Uh, Again, we we walked through this a couple sessions ago, but our hearts are are dark, it's polluted, it's it's twisted, it's calloused. And Paul says, do you recognize that what God has done as he's really shined his light, his life into your life, and he's taken your heart and has changed your heart in such a way that now your heart can actually see and perceive and understand the, the things that he longs for you to know. And he says, because of this, because God has changed your heart, and because he is, 
he's, he's radically transformed your life. He says, I pray that God will allow you to understand, to comprehend, to see three key things. Now, we looked at the first one last time. I want to look at the second one uh, this morning. Uh, but the first one is, he, Paul prays at the middle of verse, verse 18, that God would allow you to know what is the hope of his calling. And again, as we talked about last time, it's not that you have a hope that you have a calling. Uh, it's not like Christmas morning where you go, oh, I, I really hope I get a pony. It, it's not that kind of a hope. The hope here is more of the idea that you have a calling, and because you have a calling, it therefore produces hope in your life. So it's not a hope in a calling. It's the calling that produces this foundation of hope and confidence in your life. And what is the calling? Now, in order to understand the calling, you have to see the big picture of all that Paul's been doing. Everything that Paul's talking about in the book of Ephesians comes back to the main point that, hey, your position is to be in Christ. Hey, the big deal of your life is to be Jesus. Hey, the thrust of your being is to be Jesus. Hey, the heartbeat of your life is to be Jesus. So as you get into the idea of the calling, that, hey, you have this hope of a calling, and you're like, oh, I, I'm, called, I'm called to be a, a teacher. I'm called to be a plumber. I, I'm called to be a circus clown. Yeah, that may be true, and God calls people to professions, but the calling here that Paul's talking about is not a professional calling. It is a relational calling, and the calling itself is a person whose name is Jesus. And the calling that he's, he's bringing you into is relationship and intimacy, and that is the calling in your life. And again, last time we looked at the two aspects of this idea of calling. Uh, one is the idea of giving of a name, that in the Greek idea of klesis, that word for name, uh, or sorry, calling, there's this idea of giving of a name. Uh, <clears throat> it doesn't show up very often again in the New Testament, but all throughout the Old Testament there's this idea that uh, God brought the animals before, before Adam and said, Adam, you have the privilege of calling them something, naming them something. So he called this one an ostrich, he called this one a hippopotamus, he called this one right, a crocodile, and, and he, he named the animals. Right? That's this idea of calling. And it's interesting that as believers, we literally are called. We, we have a name. We are called Christians. We are the ones who actually bear the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, it says that here's Jesus speaking, and he says, I'm literally going to give you a stone, a white stone, that has a name on it that nobody else knows. That somehow in this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, we have this secret pet name, this, this intimacy kind of a name with Jesus. That, that somehow we get so wrapped up in the relationship and the intimacy, and we know him so well, and he knows us so well, and we are in him, and he is in us. We actually take on a name that only he and, I, he and us know. Now, we probably won't know that until the heavenlies, but it's just a phenomenal idea. Uh, the other idea of calling there is the idea of an invitation to a banquet. Uh, so the, uh, the Greek idea of calling is an invitation. It's a, uh, you, you get this invitation that says, hey, or we're inviting you a banquet. And in this culture, the whole idea of a banquet was relational. So the fact that you got invited to the banquet, whoo, it's all about relationship. Where you sit at the table is all about relationship and how significant you are to the, the person, the host, who's invited you in. And all throughout scripture, there's this idea that, hey, you, you are seated in Christ. So it's not that, well, at least you got invited to the banquet, but hey, you have to sit way on down at the very end of the table. This is, he has brought you near, and he has literally sat you in his own seat. And now you get to participate in that relationship. So Paul says, hey, I'm praying for you that you would know this overwhelming hope that you have this calling. Again, not hope that you have a calling, 
you have a calling that produces hope. But hey, the, you would understand this calling in your life. And what is the calling in your life? Relationship. It's intimacy. Hey, would you just get wrapped up in Jesus? Hey, will you just go berserkle with Jesus? So that's, that's the first aspect of the prayer. Now, the second thing that he begins to pray, here's your heart that's been enlightened, that, hey, God would give you this insight, this perspective, this sight. Number two, at the end of verse 18, Paul says that you would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. So there is this inheritance. And Paul says, oh, that, that God would just give you this insight and this perspective in knowing the inheritance. Now, it's interesting here that there, it is the glory of his inheritance. Uh, glory, uh, there's two different ideas of glory in the Greek. Uh, one is the idea of what you probably think of in terms of majesty, and the sense of fame, and the sense of renown, and the sense of splendor, uh, that, that kind of idea. That there's just like this, whoa, idea when it comes to th- this idea of glory. And so the idea here then is, here is this inheritance. In fact, it says it's his inheritance, and there's a glory about his inheritance. That it's just, whoa, it is just, it's majestic, it's phenomenal, it's, it's full of renown, it's just, ah, oh, this is incredible, this is just, and, it, and there's this glory associated with the inheritance. Uh, the other idea with glory is the fact that it's perspective. Uh, this idea of inheritance has this idea of sight or the idea of an opinion. Uh, isn't it interesting that when Satan took Jesus up on the high mountain and showed him the splendor, the glories of the world, the idea there is, that Satan was really taking Jesus and saying, let me give you my perspective, my opinion on all, the, on all the world. Hey, don't you want that, Jesus? And of course, Jesus is like, no, I'm not interested in what you consider your opinion or your glory in, in, the, in, in the kingdoms. So there's this interesting idea then with this idea of glory of it's an opinion thing. It's a, it's a perspective. So get this. Paul is praying that you begin to understand the phenomenal reality of his perspective, his opinion about the inheritance. That somehow I could gain his heart and his mind about how he sees the inheritance. That's kind of a neat idea, isn't it? That it's not just, well, I look at an inheritance and go, ooh, wouldn't that be nice? But that he actually gives me his perspective or his opinion about what he thinks of that inheritance. Well, what does he think about the inheritance? Well, Paul kind of gives us an insight of this by using the language, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. It's like Paul begins to grasp this idea of the inheritance, and he says, I, I don't know how to describe the inheritance outside of using, what are, which are some of my all-time favorite words, a superlative. And again, a superlative is just a big fancy word, but a superlative is basically those words that are technically unnecessary, but they're really fun to use. Uh, it's those words that are like over the top. Uh, it's the words like, hey, how's your day? You could say good, or you could say well, or you could use a superlative. It is great. It is phenomenal. It is tubular. It is phantasmagorical. It is absolutely bodacious. I mean, this thing is groovy. I mean, those kind of words, right? Some of them are better than others. <laughs> but as you get into this idea, and again, Paul's been talking about inheritance. In fact, if you go back to verse 11, if you go back to verse 13 and 14, Paul's been talking about this overwhelming inheritance that you and I get to, get to participate in, that we get to have. And over and over again, the way that Paul talks about the inheritance, it's like he's kind of looking at it from afar with his mouth hanging open and just going, whoa, I, I don't know how you describe this thing, but this is like, this is good. I mean, this, it's better than good. This is like phenomenal. I mean, it's better than phenomenal. This is incredible. Maybe it's 
tubular, groovy. I mean, this thing is like bodacious. This is phantasmagorical. I mean, this inheritance is over the top. Is, how, is what Paul's opinion is on the thing. Now, we're not going to spend time in this, and if you want to hear some of this, you can go back to the study that we did in verse 11. But it's interesting that Paul says in our verse that this is the glory of his inheritance. It's not your inheritance. Paul wants you to understand God's inheritance. Isn't that interesting? Well, what's God's inheritance? Now, again, we looked at this in verse 11, so if you want more, you can go back to that study. But the idea of his inheritance, think about this. We, we, we have an inheritance as Christians. In fact, uh, if you look at verse 13 and 14, there's this whole idea that, hey, we have an inheritance. In fact, our inheritance, you do not have to wait until you're dead. Praise the Lord. <laughs> what's the typical inheritance? Well, someone has all this cash, they die, and they give their resource unto you. And you have received an inheritance. Why? Because they have died. But you recognize that as a Christian, the one in whom we're receiving our inheritance from never dies. So we'd be waiting a very, very long time. So what does he do? He gives us our inheritance now. And the down payment of that inheritance, the little, you know, cherry on the Sunday that we get to experience this side of heaven, Paul says is the Holy Spirit. That God has sent the Holy Spirit, again, it's this whole picture of the Pentecost idea in Acts 2, that God has sent the Holy Spirit into your life as a down payment of the reality of what you and I get to experience. Well, what is the reality that you and I get to experience? Relationship. It's all about intimacy. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? Oh, as you study out the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, he's bringing conviction. Yeah, that's amazing. He's bringing judgment, which is amazing. He's bringing insight, which is phenomenal. He's leading and guiding us into all truth. All, all that's contained inside you, the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit, as, as the Holy Spirit lives inside of our life, the Holy Spirit is revealing to us the phenomenal aspect of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is guiding and leading us into all truth, which is a person whose name is Jesus. That's awesome. So you, you, get, this, you get this idea then that we have an inheritance, and we get to experience our inheritance now. What's our inheritance? Jesus. And Jesus has sent us his spirit via his Holy Spirit, right? His, the, the Holy Spirit inside of our life to literally draw us and lead us into him. Well, what is the Holy Spirit in our life? It's a down payment. And so just as you go out and buy a house and they say, hey, you're going to have to put a down payment. You're going to have to you know, put 10% down so that we know that you're really serious about having the whole thing. And you realize that when you put the down payment, it's not the full thing. Hey, we get that. It's just, it's, it's a guarantee idea. Isn't that a phenomenal thought? That what you and I get to experience, this side of heaven, is the fact that as good as Christianity is, as phenomenal as it is, as rich as our lives can be this side of heaven, it is still, even the best, is merely a 10% down payment of what we're going to experience in the eternities. I don't know what you want to do with that, but that's just, that's exciting. I mean, that, that would change how you lived here. I've been waiting to hear back from the IRS uh, the, the last couple of weeks. Uh, they sent me this wonderful letter right before Christmas. It was a wonderful Christmas present. And they said, hey, we were looking at your taxes a couple years ago, and you now owe us $20,000. And I was like, excuse me, I, don't, I barely make $20,000. I'm like, I do not owe you $20,000. And so, hey, I... Uh, I, I wrote them this big, long letter, and I put all this paperwork together because they were wrong, and uh, I, I sent it off to them. And now I'm in this waiting period. 
And every day I'm like, dear Jesus, I just, could you please just give me an answer? Like, this is like, the weight of this thing is just killing me. I'm like, I know it's wrong, but it's the IRS. You don't tick off the IRS. So I've been trying to be very gracious, you know, and I'm in this waiting period. And even this morning, I just thought it was funny. I'm like, Jesus, could I please just have an answer? Could you just have them send me a letter and just have them say, oh, our mistake. Hey, we, we apologize. And just, oh, finally I can have, a, have some breathing room. And it was funny. I was walking over here, and I'm like, Jesus, if I really was living with this perspective of inheritance, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I could have eternity with you. And in 100 years, no one's going to care about my IRS taxes and whether or not they're actually going to make me pay $20,000. <laughs> I mean, I'll think about it 100 years from now. But, you know, but no, one, no, one, no one cares. Why? Because it doesn't matter in light of eternity. See, it, I'm, I'm just fascinated. The stuff that I worry about, if I, if I, if I project it 100 years from now, it's no big deal. If I look at my circumstances and I, I project it into 1,000 years from now in, in eternity, no one's going to care. So why, why, would it, why should it disturb me now? See, why should I just live from the reality of my inheritance? Which is, hey, just get wrapped up in him. And I, pro- I mean, I'm just, I'm so excited about this idea that, hey, if we would get wrapped up in the mere 10% that we can have this side of heaven, which I, I think is phenomenal. I mean, how much better is eternity going to be? Now, personally, I don't, even, I don't think I'm, I'm even hitting 10%. I mean, I, I may be squeaking out 3 or 4%. And it's been a fun thought over the last years of my life to think if, if the very best that Christianity can be, which is phenomenal, it really is so phenomenal, if the best Christianity can be is 10%, and realistically, I'm probably at 3%, well, why wouldn't I just spend my entire life going after the 10%? In fact, I've been questioning if it's even possible why would I even be satisfied with 10%? Why wouldn't I just go after 12% or 15%? Why wouldn't I just go after the fullness of the inheritance? Now, I probably won't receive all of it. I get that, this side of eternity. But why would I go after it? Why? Because I have the inheritance. And that would change how I think. That would change how I live. That would change how I looked at circumstances, the, the problems and the pressures. That, just, that would change everything in my life if I lived in light of eternity, or as Jonathan Edwards and Leonard Ravenhill and all, all those guys used to say, if eternity was stamped upon our eyeballs, if we truly saw our circumstances in light of eternity and what we could experience in eternity, that would change everything. I think it would. But you realize that's only half the idea because it's not just that we receive an inheritance, he has an inheritance. Isn't that interesting? That God has an inheritance. What is his inheritance? Well, as you walk through the Old Testament, the, the undercurrent of the inheritance idea becomes, he goes, I have an inheritance. What's your inheritance? My people. That we are his inheritance. So think about how cool this inheritance is. I am his inheritance, and he is my inheritance. Just as I am in Christ, and he is in me. That there's this twofold reality. And Paul says, hey, would you begin to gain an insight and a mindset on his inheritance? Which is what? Himself. So what is he praying for? Jesus. That Jesus would get bigger in your life. Well, it sounds like what he just prayed for in the whole calling idea. I know. It's like he has one topic. And he keeps going over and over and over in it, over and over and over again on this idea. Why? Because Paul's whole thrust is, hey, would you get wrapped up in Jesus? Hey, will you just go get crazy with Jesus? Would you get obsessed with Jesus? Wouldn't it be interesting if I could gain his 
perspective, his opinion on his inheritance. When I can actually see my life in light of what he's doing for the eternities, that I can look at the fact that he's after a bride called the church, who's, who's in, who is his inheritance, and I begin to see the bride, the church, in light of the fact that, that we are his inheritance. Wouldn't it be interesting for me to begin to look at him and recognize that he is my inheritance? Uh, I love the old uh, movies about inheritances. There's all these old classic movies. Uh, most of them are done decades and decades ago. Uh, for example, one of my favorites is uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. This is a really long movie, kind of goofy. Uh, but the whole idea is that here's this guy driving down a road, and he flies off the edge, and, and uh, he's, he's on his death. I mean, he's, he's just laying out, and he's, he's, he's about to die. And he says, hey, I have a fortune. I mean, I have a huge fortune, and uh, I have no one to give it to you. And there's this group of, group of people on the cars that came around and said, hey, if you want it, you guys can have it. Here it is. It's under a big W over in this town. Good, good luck. And it's this crazy race of everyone being so obsessed with this idea of an inheritance that they, they are willing to do anything and everything. They drop all their plans. Why? Because there's a promise of a whole bunch of wealth. And it's just this goofy movie of all their problems that they experience along the way. Uh, years after that one, there's a movie that came out called Scavenger Hunt. Uh, which is about this old game maker who had this incredible fortune. And he said, hey, for my inheritance, talking to his family, uh, hey, if, if you want my inheritance, uh, you're going to have to play a game. And it's going to be a big scavenger hunt. And so uh, he had died. And, and so the, the guy, given, the lawyer, given all the will stuff, gives each of the family units a scavenger hunt list and said, by this time tomorrow, you know, you're going to have to find all these items. The one who has the most points gets the entire inheritance. And of course, it's all their problems and travesties of trying to get all this money. You have movies like Brewster's Millions, who, you know, has to spend $30 million in 30 days to get like the $100 million. You know, the, the more recent one is The Ultimate Gift uh, that came out, I don't know, a decade or so ago, about here's this kid who has the potential of, of getting the whole fortune, but he has to do a series of tests to prove himself. See, it's, it's interesting that when it comes to the inheritance, People are willing to do the most crazy things for some money. That, that we are willing to just go berserkle. Why? Because there's a promised inheritance. How much more as Christians don't you think we should be if the promised inheritance is a person? And it's actually limitless. And if that is true, why, why wouldn't we go after it? Isn't it interesting that the things that God tells us, stop doing it's like we just can't help ourselves. I mean, you look at people who are, who are lost in, uh, whether it be success or lust or drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be, and it's like, do you, do you realize that there's freedom from that? And God says, hey, stop looking at pornography. I mean, stop building your life around money. I mean, stop just being addicted to alcohol. I know, but I just can't stop. I just, I just have to. I just, isn't it interesting that, Here's Jesus opening himself up, saying, take as much as you want. And yet we are satisfied with so little. I've given this illustration before, but if we had some back room, and we could fill the back room, floor to ceiling with $100 bills, and I looked at you and said, all right, you get one chance. You either go in the room, and you can take as much as you want, but when you come out, you're done. Here's the question. How, how many of us, in fact, I'm convinced none of us, would walk into the room pick up one $100 bill, and walk out of the room and say, I'm done. I'm, I'm fine. 
None of us would do that. Why? Because that's crazy. What would you do? You would go into that room and you would stuff your pockets. You would, you would sew pockets on. You would put as much under your arm and you would truck out absolutely as, as many $100 bills as you possibly could. Why? Because it's, it's money. You don't, you don't just leave money sitting if it's available. Now, if we would do that for money, why wouldn't we do that with Jesus? Why, why wouldn't we go after him? See, why, why wouldn't we just say, Jesus, you're, I, there's actually, it's, it's limitless. That, that, that there is no limit with Jesus. So I, I can go after him, and he will satisfy me, and I can keep going after him, and he'll keep satisfying me, and I can experience the richness of who he is, and it's never going to end. But why are we satisfied with so little then? It's like we show up to church, and we get just a little bit of whoop, and we're like, oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. It's interesting in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Paul writes the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, self, and, and self-control. And then he makes a statement, and he says, and against such things there is no law. Which means what? There's no limit. Do you recognize that, that in Jesus, there is no limit to the love that your life can hold? See, no one's ever going to walk up to you and say, you know what, you've been a little bit too loving to me. Uh, could, you, could you hate me a little bit? See, no one's ever going to tell you that. No one's ever going to say, you've been a little too joyful. Could you get depressed a little bit? I have heard that one, actually. But, but hey, you, hey, you've been so patient with me. Will you just get angry? See, no, one's gonna, no one says that stuff. Why? Because there is no law against the fruits of the Spirit, which are merely the fruits of the Spirit. It's the life of Jesus. You realize that when Jesus comes into your life, there is to be no limit. And as he begins to press the realities of his life within you and the character of his life begins to come out of you in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control starts flowing out of you, you realize that there is no limit to that. Yet why are we satisfied with so little? See, why, why are we, we have this limitless inheritance and yet we're just like, man, eh, I'm good. Do you know what a travesty that is? Could you imagine God doing that with his inheritance, which is you? Just being like, eh, I'm good. Just stop. See, he's not that way. See, he's, he's, he's aggressive. He's, he's pursuing. He, he, he wants more of you, and he, he wants you to go to deeper levels of sanctification, and he, he wants to transform your heart and your mind and your life. And See, he's not satisfied with where you're at. He wants to bring you deeper. Yes, he loves you with where you're at, but hey, he, he loves you too much to leave you the way you're at. So what does he do? He's constantly putting pressure on you. Why? He's jealous over his inheritance. Why wouldn't we be that way with him? And why wouldn't we just go crazy over the fact that we have an inheritance whose name is Jesus? That he's really opening himself up wide, saying, hey, take as much as you want. And if that is true, why would we be satisfied with so little? So look at what Paul's saying again in our passage. He says, hey, God has changed your heart. He's enlivened your heart so that you could perceive and see and understand three key things. Number one, that you would understand that you have this hope in the calling. What's the calling? Jesus. That you just get wrapped up in him. And the primary calling on your life is not a profession. The primary calling on your life is a person. And hey, would, would you understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Hey, would you gain his mindset, gain his opinion on the inheritance? What's his inheritance? us and what's our inheritance him and he's literally opening himself up and saying hey help yourself 
Isn't it interesting that all over Scripture, you are never, hey, greed is always in the negative. You're never to be greedy. Never. Except I found one area that I think you can be greedy in, and it's biblically, biblically okay. And it's when you're greedy with him. Sounds bad, but. See, when, when I'm greedy over the fact that I, I, want, I, I want the fruits of the Spirit to the fullest extent possible, and I just, I jealously, aggressively go after the fruits of the Spirit, which is merely his character, see, there, there's no law against that. See, if, if he's opening himself up wide, saying, hey, take as much as you want, you can be greedy on Jesus. Take as much as you want. In fact, don't be satisfied. I mean, be satisfied, but don't be satisfied. Or as Angel Murray said, ask me if I'm satisfied, and with every fiber of my being, I'll say, yes, I'm satisfied in Jesus. But let us never hesitate to say this is only the beginning. See, you could, you could be greedy in Jesus. So hey, if, if you want to be greedy, by all means, be greedy. But be greedy in one thing, Jesus. Just go after him. Just delight yourself in him. And don't be so satisfied with the little bit that you have. Why? Because you would not be that way with money. I mean, if someone offered you a, 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 you know, a million dollars of an inheritance, who of us would look at each other and go, ah, I'll be okay for just $10? See, none of us would say that. We'd all be going, woo, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I, and I would be writing checks today. <laughs> Why? Because ah, I, I, I want to experience the fullness of that million dollars. But Jesus is far better than money, you understand. And you have an inheritance. And it's far better than wealth. What's your inheritance? The creator of the universe. The king of kings and the lord of lords. And he's opened himself up wide saying, hey, help yourself. Take as much as you want. So let's go after him. Let, let's not be satisfied with where we're at. Let's not be satisfied with the little we have. And no matter where we are in, that, you know, in our inheritance, whether we have 3% or 7% or whatever it may be that you have, Hey, wouldn't it be interesting on this side of eternity if we would just pursue him and have the fullest, whatever's possible, of this down payment, this guarantee of our inheritance? That I want, I want as much as possible. That when I get to heaven, it's just like, oh, it's just an expansion of what I've been experiencing now. By the way, do you know what we call people who live like that? I think we have to call them Christians. Because they are living in the reality of their inheritance. Which is what Paul's been praying for. I want that. Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we do love you. And Lord, thank you that we have an inheritance, which is you. And somehow, Jesus, allow us to understand that you have an inheritance, which is us. And as Paul prayed, Lord, somehow could you give us an understanding, a mindset, that you would somehow give us your opinion and your mind on this inheritance? Lord, it boggles my mind that that far better than wealth, far better than riches, far, far better than possessions. We have an inheritance that is limitless. That, that you have opened yourself up and just said, oh, take, take as much as you want. Help yourself. Go crazy. Lord, may we not be satisfied with where we're at in our Christian life. And yeah, yeah, let us be satisfied. But, but Lord, would you put a hunger and a thirst within us that just causes us to, causes us to crave more that like Ezekiel in the river, that we just, we want to progress and get into deeper and deeper waters. Lord, somehow could you do something in and through us to such a degree that, that this inheritance would just become the reality of our life? Could you, could you take eternity and stamp it upon our eyeballs? Could you allow us to live in light of the fact that we have an inheritance and what matters in the, in the, in the eternals is not 
the momentary afflictions. It's not the, the hardships. It's not the circumstances. It's what matters is going to be you. And so, Lord, may we give ourselves into that one thing. May we delight ourselves in the one thing. Hey, may what we jump out of bed in the morning for is the one thing. What gets us excited is, is you. Lord, I don't, I don't want to be satisfied with a little bit. Lord, I, I want as much of you as possible. And in reverse, Lord, I want you to have all of me. Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to hold back any piece of me. I, I don't want to have a crevice in my life that you don't own and operate and control. So, Lord, would you take full possession of, of your inheritance, both my life individually and corporately as, as the bride of Christ, the church? Lord, would you, would you draw us back in relationship? Would you bring revival back to the church? Would you bring us hunger and thirst where the one single thing that the church is focused on is you? That what the whole church is wrapped up, wrapped up in is you. What the world sees when they look at the church is you. Lord, we need light in this dark generation. And light only comes from you. So somehow would you just consume us with your light and your love and let us all be about this inheritance. Because it seems like you're all about your inheritance. Lord, we want more of you. We love you. And thank you that we have the opportunity to keep pressing and growing and expanding and having more of you. What an incredible reality. We love you, Jesus. We just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.